thank you all again for coming back and thank you for coming for the first time. Amen. Uh, I, uh, here we go. I want to say, uh, before we really get started, we are going to be in John chapter number eight again. Uh, the, your church, <laughs> your church is very special to us. Uh, to my family. I didn't get to really introduce them this morning. My wife, Scarlett, she's back here in the corner, and then my daughter, Serenity. Uh, we have been in every one of the buildings, too. Uh, we were here for the first Sunday that Bible Pathway Baptist Church ever had on Easter Sunday back six and a half years ago. And uh, I remember coming to, for the first time ever, to Lexington and almost, almost moving here uh, because you all stole my pastor and I have a bone to pick with you about that. Okay, uh, but the, I, I remember coming to Lexington and seeing Pastor Stover's heart for the area and just seeing his desire to see God work. And I can't express how excited I am for you all to be, to be getting in at Richmond, getting into this new church building. This is phenomenal. It, it really is an exciting time for Bible Pathway Baptist Church. And I, I do hope you, you understand my heart in this. And, and I'm not just saying it. You have an awesome pastor. You really do. I love to give him a hard time. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, but you have an amazing pastor. And... It, I promise you, the Lord is going to do some amazing things through, through Bible Pathway Baptist Church. I really do believe that. John, chapter number 8. This morning we talked about reaching people with a checkered past. And we talked about things that when they come to our church, and inevitably they will, um, someone will walk into this church building uh, down in Richmond at some point that has done something, has done something that people are going to step back and be like, whoa. And I know that feeling. I, I know what that's like because I was that person that walked into the church. I was the person that walked in that first Sunday after getting out of jail and was like, whoa, it's an entirely new world. And there are things that we do that we really probably shouldn't do. Now, one of those is that we talk about individuals. Uh, we, we have a tendency as people to just do that. We, we like to talk about other people. It's, it's something that our flesh is really, really good at, whether it should be or not. Uh, we like to allow the, uh, the past to define the future. Right? And if you ever think about this, you ever heard that expression, the good old days? The good old days weren't that good either, y'all. There's been issues all the way through, but we remember things like that, and uh, the past often defines our future. But when someone new that has a past comes to our church, what are some things that we should do that a lot of churches don't? And that really is something that is just as important. You will drive people out of your church just as easily just as easily by not doing things that you should do as you will by doing things that you shouldn't. And thankfully, God gives us His Word to teach us exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. I asked you all to stand this morning while we read 11 verses. I won't ask you to deny to do the same this evening. But in John chapter number 8, we're talking about the woman that was caught in adultery. Uh, in uh, adultery, sorry. In adultery. And she is being brought to Jesus by the scribes and by the Pharisees. And there are some things that Jesus did in this passage of Scripture that I find just absolutely amazing. 
Because if we are to do those things, if we will do those, one, the person with that checkered past has an amazing opportunity to grow in a church like Bible Baptist Church, or Bible Pathway Baptist Church. I'm at Bible Baptist Church. We kind of stole the name. Okay, uh, but the, uh, they have an amazing opportunity to grow in that situation. They have an amazing opportunity to become plugged in and to become not only uh, having you as an asset to them, but them being an asset to you all and helping to edify the church in such an amazing way. What are these things that we're to do? Number one, treat them like everyone else. Treat them like everyone else. When you look at the first six verses of this, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't treat this woman any differently than he treated the scribes and the Pharisees. In verse number one, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they did tempting him, and that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. When someone new that has a past walks into our church, maybe they've gotten saved in jail, maybe they've had some horrible upbringing uh, or whatever, and they walk into our church, we have a tendency, well-meaning, and I do mean this, well-meaning, to set them in the midst. That's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees did. They brought her in, and they sat her down to where everyone was able to see. Now, they're doing it in a negative way, and I don't think our churches intentionally do this, but oftentimes when we do it, it does come off negative. Here's why. A new person, Brett, I told you I was going to do this. Here's Brett. Brett, come here. I'm going to borrow you for a second. This is Brett. Brett is my buddy. I've known Brett for a very long time. Here, hold out your arm. We're socially distanced. Okay, um, here's Brett. Brett is nervous because Brett doesn't know what to expect at this moment. But Brett here, Brett walks into my church, and Brett comes from a great home. Brett has a great, a great dad, a great mom, an okay brother. Um, Brett comes in to, to my church, and Brett has come from the wicked sin of beating up his brother. Okay, that is the wicked sin that Brett has. And we know about it. Everybody knows that Brett beats up Camden. It's not a secret. We know that this is the case. And Brett comes in and he says, you know what? I got saved here recently and I don't want to beat up my brother anymore. Look at Camden and say, I'll never beat you up. That's an oath. You can't break that. Okay. Um, Brett says he's never going to do this. Now, Brett, at this moment, because we all know his past, uh, it's not like I don't know any of y'all's past. I know Brett's past. He used to beat up his brother. Brett comes in now, and Brett is here. And we can say, wow, look at Brett. Look how God really changed Brett's life. It's amazing how we did that, how God worked in Brett's life. Brett, can you tell everybody your testimony about how you're not going to beat up your brother anymore? I'm just playing. You can sit down. Okay. And we do this. And we do this with people. And I remember when I came to church, I was asked over and over and over again to give my salvation testimony about how I got saved in the Pike County Jail and how God took away the desire for drugs and alcohol in my life and how I wanted to live for God and over and over and over again. Here's what happens oftentimes. We begin to lift up a young Christian and pride sneaks in. I remember when Pastor Stover told me his testimony, 
years ago, the first time, how he got saved at four at the ranch, his mom there, he thought he was going to die because of a tornado that was coming or a cut finger or something. Which was which one was it? Fingernail fell off. That's what it was. I remember this. Uh, he, he thought he was going to die, and he wanted to make sure that he was going to go to heaven if that was the case. He came under conviction of sin, and he trusted Christ as Savior. Amen. Okay. I remember that, and I thought, wow, what a boring testimony. How boring is that? You know, here I am. I had, like, guns pointed at me before I got saved, and I was a drug addict, and I sold drugs, and I did everything wrong, and look what God did for me. The truth is, whether it's Pastor Stover's testimony or whether it's my testimony, we're both sinners and we both needed God's grace equally as much. And his testimony nowadays I find a whole lot better than mine. I wish my testimony would have begun at four years old. I wish that that would have been the case. And most people that walk in our churches, when they come from a checkered past, yeah, they may have been saved from something amazing, something horrible that, that absolutely would have wrecked most people's lives. But if we put them on a pedestal and we're constantly asking them to do this and be on display, friend, pride sneaks in in a hurry. And you set them up to fail long before they ever have a chance to walk. Jesus here didn't make a huge deal out of this woman coming to him. In fact, I looked this up. When he spoke to the scribes and Pharisees, he said one sentence, and that one sentence is 15-ish words. When he spoke to the woman that was in adultery, he spoke two sentences, 24 words. Now, I'm not much on splitting hairs, but he didn't sit there and make a huge deal about this woman. And after she was uh, turned away, after she was allowed to go, and he says he did not condemn her, we hear no other mention of her. She's gone. He didn't make a big deal. And our church members, these individuals that are coming, we don't want to do it. Why do we do this? Why is it that we like to put them on display? Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, there really are. Number one reason uh, is we just get excited about the fact that there's somebody new at church. Amen. I don't know if y'all are like us in southern Indiana, but that's how we are. If someone new walks in the church building, we run about 80 or so on Sunday-ish, big day, um, We've had a high day of about 100 when we fed everybody, and uh, that was where we're at. But when someone new walks in, everybody's excited. Everybody's excited. When someone new comes and someone gets saved, friend, that's an exciting day. And it should be. It should be. But if we allow it to continue, and we allow us to keep putting that person back on that pedestal and back on that pedestal, pride will sneak in. The second reason that we do this is that we view them as a project. This happens a lot with people with that checkered past. People will view them as a project. And they'll say, well, if I, I just need to invest a little bit more in them because of their past. I remember that. And that's fine until you don't have time to invest them anymore or until you move away. And then that individual is left to flounder because they've never been able to grow. And what they really need is for us to remember that they're Jesus' project. I mean, Brother Adam, you're Jesus' project. Brother Jason, you're Jesus' project. A 40-year-old Jesus' project, okay? Um, you're Jesus' project, okay? We, we have to remember that. That people aren't my project. They're Jesus' project. And when someone with a checkered past comes into our church, I'm not going to keep them in church. But Christ can. I'm not going to be the one that's going to help them to grow. It's got to be Him. Now, He can use me. That's true. He can use every one of us. 
but it has to be him doing the growing. We can't view him as a project. The third reason that we see this so often is that we want our church to be that accepting and inclusive church. We want everybody to know just how friendly we are, and uh, we want everybody to know that they're welcome at church and things like that, and we should be. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just love people the way that Jesus did, and you'll just invite them in, and you'll just uh, you know, put in the, the, the protections and make sure that things are done rightly and in order, but if you'll just do that, friend, people are going to know that you're an inclusive and an accepting church. And they're going to know that you're an inclusive and an accepting church the biblical way and not the world's way. And there is a big difference in the world's version of inclusive and accepting and what the biblical model of inclusive and accepting is. We want to be the biblical model. And you don't have to put someone on the front page of the paper and advertise. I don't know about you guys, but we see this all the time in our area. We'll drive down the road and you will see the signs out that are, that are for a, a certain ministry uh, that is... Basically, it's to do with drug addicts. And really, it's, what it is, is it's a, a, a kind of a self-help program that churches put on and, and try to work through these things. And, and they have their place, and they have their, their right in their own way. But I don't need to promote that in my church if I'm loving the inmates right where they're at when we're in the jail ministry. I don't need to promote that we're going to be that accepting church. When people walk in the door of our church, they know that we're going to love them, and we're going to do things right by them. So the first thing that we should do is treat them like everyone else. Let me give you the second thing. Remember that we have a past as well. And that is vital because the older we get in Christ, often the, the easier it is for us to forget where we came from. It's easy for us to forget this. Jesus reminds the scribes and Pharisees of this. And if you look there, in verse number 7, the Bible says, so when they continue, now I want you to notice they didn't give up. And they tried to condemn her. He ignored them. They continued to condemn them, or to condemn her. And so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now we can argue the theology behind this. I've heard several different approaches to this verse. And we can argue it all day long. And in fact, I'm open for that. I'm down to argue the, the theology behind this after we're done here. But what I want you to notice that we can't argue about is that Jesus reminded them that they had a past. And while their past may have been much more private than hers, they still had a past. And that's when we have to remember that in our past, Christ has given us a wonderful command to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not what was done to you, but how you want them to do. As a pastor, as a Christian, I have a responsibility to treat others the exact same way that I want to be treated. And if I don't want people running all over town talking about all my failures, and there are a lot of them, I shouldn't be doing the same thing. You see, the truth is, for us, we need to remember that if it wasn't for God's grace, we could have all been in the other person's shoes. Pastor Vince, I love his family. His dad is an awesome dad. That's, I, I, I praise the Lord for Brother Dale. I love Miss Pam. I, I like Tara. Uh, I like Pastor's family. Eh, 
<laughs> I'm allowed to like her. You're her brother, okay? Um, I, like, I like her family. I love him. I love his family that's on the front row. But by the grace of God, it could have been that we were switched. You see, that's all God's grace. I'm thankful that he grew up in a, in a, a godly home. And at four years old, he was able to trust Christ. I praise the Lord for that. It's good. But I'm also thankful that I grew up in the opposite home. I'm thankful that I grew up in a home without a dad because when I found Christ, I found a father that's never going to leave. I'm thankful that whenever, I, I tell you what, I've said this before. If I would have known the rush that comes from leading someone to Christ, I'd have never needed drugs. <laughs> Not in a million years would I have ever needed drugs. But I want you, I want, what I really want you to get from this is that we can always find ourselves in someone else's position. We can always find ourselves in someone else's position. And we see it so often nowadays where, where people will make one wrong decision and it just spirals. And, and before you know it, lives are ruined and testimonies are shot and it's horrible. And we sit back and it's easy for us to say, well, I've never made that decision. But how many times have I had the chance to? And how many times has God protected me from being put in that situation? And we have to remember that we could have easily found ourselves there. This could have easily been us. Third thing. Third thing, and I'll be done. We must give accountability. We must give accountability. We love. How many of you like verse number 11? Okay, it's congregation interaction here. How many of you have hands? Okay, good. I can see them. How many of you like verse number 11? I love verse number 11. And we love to focus in on verse number 11. It says, She said, No man, Lord. And, he, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. And the world would love for that verse to end right there. But it doesn't. Now I'm thankful that Jesus tells us here that when we come to Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're no longer condemned. We're moved from condemnation to life. We're justified. We're righteous. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But the verse goes on, and it says, Go and sin no more. Oftentimes what happens in churches is that an individual with that past will come in, and we're so happy that they're there, that we almost condone what they did. We almost make it okay that they did what they did. My testimony is a prime example of this. I got saved after a, a year of, of being pretty laid out on drugs. I go to jail. I go to, to the Pike County Jail. I'm in there for seven days. I go to the church service because I thought I would get out of the jail. That was dumb. Um, they take me to a rec room. They shared with me the gospel. I stood up and I was mad. I didn't want to hear it. I started to walk out. And I began to think, look what all of your good has done you, Scott. Look right where you're at. So I turned around, I walked back, and I told that guy, I said, hey, you said that you could tell me how I could have a different life. Tell me more. So he did. He opened up his Bible, and he showed me from the Word of God how I could be saved. And I walked out of there a new creature, not afraid, and not wanting to get out and get high. That was awesome. I loved that. It was amazing to me how he worked in my life. I get out of jail, and I hear people say things like, 
Wow, aren't you glad you were on drugs? Aren't you thankful that you did all those drugs so that you could go to jail and so that you could get saved? Friend, it almost was like they were trying to tell me in my mind that it was okay for me to continue doing the drugs because Jesus took something bad and made it good. Hey, you're good. Go ahead. People that come to our churches need accountability. They need someone that is going to help them be who Christ wants them to be. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. God speaks frequently about how he wants us to live righteous lives. And God speaks about our sanctification and how we are to become more and more Christ-like. And we need, as a church, to be helping others reach those goals. And that doesn't come by condoning what someone has done in their past, but it doesn't come by condemning it either. When we look at this, I tell everyone in our church the same thing when they come to us out of the jail ministry. And it's very simple. Here it is. Ready? You have no friends. When you get out of jail, you have no friends. Make them here. Church. The reason is, is because we provide accountability to one another. Your pastor, I know I can call him at any time. And he's got to say, what do you need? And we're going to talk, and he's going to provide accountability for me, and he's going to help me stay right. And as a church, we need to be doing the exact same thing for everybody that comes in the door. That's one of the greatest commands that we have out of Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, that's kind of a big buzz phrase right now for churches. But the verse goes on there too, when we look at the context of it, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. An individual that will come to your church out of a jail ministry, out of uh, a checkered past, something like that, they're going to come to your church and they're going to have everything in the outer world trying to pull them back into their old life. And you're the opportunity that Christ has used to pull them back into His, to keep them where He wants them at. Christ doesn't want to see a a guy that's had issues with drug addiction backslide. He doesn't want to see that. But it may be you that he uses to keep them from doing that. Provide the accountability that they need. And remember, remember how easy it is for us to slip back. Remember how easy it is for us to fail. I don't know about y'all, but there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I'm not asking God to forgive me for something. Maybe it's not a sin of commission, but oftentimes it's those sins of omission that get me. I should have gave that person a track. Lord, forgive me. When we remember that that is our life, it makes it much easier for us to remember how easy it is for them. Friend, I mean this. I mean this. Bible Pathway Baptist Church, you've got an amazing opportunity. You really do. You're moving to a new area, there are new people. You have a new building. It's going to provide stability. It's going to provide all sorts of opportunities for ministry. It's awesome. And I am excited for you all. But let me encourage you. Take this theme. Love thy neighbor. And live it out for one of the most underreached people groups that you'll ever find. Most churches don't want us. They don't want us. your church can be different. 
your church can be the thing that makes a difference in someone else's life. Your pastor made one in mine, and I will say this without crying, I promise. And your church can do the same for others. Your church can reach a group of people that God loves and the world doesn't. That God loves and most churches don't know what to do with it. Be that church. Love your neighbors. Pastor Vincent. Well... Wow.